Hey everyone, it's me, Ben. Thanks for listening to this episode. All about American Horror Story, the most enjoyable, craziest show that I watched in these past six months. Uh, I hope you watched them too, and I hope you are all caught up on them. This episode does contain spoilers, um, but where would we be if we didn't talk about the whole thing? Come on, get on board. It's been over for a couple weeks now. Um, So watch that show, American Horror Story Asylum. Uh, and please enjoy this podcast, this chat that we had with um, most of the writing staff of it. Uh, I have to thank Tim Minear for helping me put it together. Uh, the assistant on the show, Crystal, was awesome. And Katie Levine from Nerdist, who uh, schlepped over to Paramount in the rain to help me record it. Thanks, guys. In other news, the Michelangelo screenwriting program is still going on. Uh, There are, I think, a couple more weeks to get yourself signed up to come and workshop your scripts, TV scripts, movie scripts, comic book scripts, uh, with me and my writing partner, Ben Acker, in Italy. Why wouldn't you do this? Uh, This is the best place to go and write, and it's awesome, and they put you in, like, this little village, and we all hang out, and we talk about movies and TV and writing uh, and Nobody bothers us, and we get our work done, and you'll come out of it with a really awesome script. So go to michelangeloscreenwriting.com, click on Program, uh, but more importantly, click on Register and come and join us. This thing is really cool. It'll happen in mid-June. You'll be back in time for Comic-Con, and and it should be really a, a great experience for us and for you. Uh, so that is, again, michelangeloscreenwriting.com. Uh, in other news, check out uh, my website, which I am trying to keep up, uh, benblackerwrites.com. Uh, I, I kind of draw, take the lessons that I, I have gotten from doing these writer's panels and try to synthesize them into brief mini-lessons to share with you. Exactly the kind of stuff that you'll get from this Italy screenwriting program, but uh, that will be even better. Um, so, yeah. MichaelangeloScreenwriting.com, BenBlackerWrites.com, and visit ATXFestival.com. If you are in Austin or if you are able to get to Austin uh, this June, you want to be a part of this festival. The pass prices are about to go up. I think that you can get, I think, one more week. They're uh, about $129. I'm well worth it. The festival was so much fun last year. Uh, and prove it looks like it's going to be even uh, bigger and better this year. So get on board, um, and, and I think they bump up the price in a week or two. So atxfestival.com. That is all. Thanks for listening. Bye. Now entering Nerdist.com. It's the Nerdist Writers Panel on the Nerdist Podcast Channel. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers. Writers talking writing can get pretty exciting. The talk can be lightning. It's very, very frightening. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers. Thrilled to be here at the American Horror Story Asylum uh, offices. And why don't we just go around and you guys can introduce yourselves so everyone knows what your voices sound like. And uh, let me know also if you were here the first season as well. I'm Jennifer Salt. No, wait, I'm not either. (laughs) (laughs) I'm American Horror Stories Tim Minear, and I was here the first season as well. Uh, I'm Jessica Scharzer, and I was here both seasons. And I'm Jennifer Salt, likewise. All right, great. (laughs) Um, Let's jump right in. Uh, Tim and I were talking a little bit before we started about uh, how this season kind of compared to last season and what you guys learned after working on that first season. Um, and and for me, you know, as complete outsider, as a viewer of this, it just felt like there was uh, the emotional stuff hit a little harder this year uh, or maybe stuck a little harder. Was there a concerted effort uh, on the part of the writers um, to to hit that emotional stuff or was it really were things kind of broken in the same way as they were in the past not exactly the same way because we were coming in to this season the first season we came in and there was already a pilot it had been written by brad and ryan and uh we came in and 
sort of, you know, picked up where they left off a little bit in our little tiny writer's room. This year we were here from the very beginning. So we were here at the ground floor. So uh, I don't know if that contributed to what you're talking about or not. I mean, we always try to make the stories emotional. Always. I mean, I guess I should point out that that you pointed out to me that the stuff with the kids in the first season yeah. really hit hard, and that's yeah. absolutely true. Um, when was when during season one did talk of season two start to happen? When did that start to come together? I would say the last month that we were writing, we started kicking around some ideas. But honestly, like Ryan had a pretty clear idea what he wanted to dive into, and he had certain images that he brought in, and so it was really seamless between season one and season two um the ideas were already planted at the end of season one okay i'm always curious about what you know if he he comes in with an idea of what this arc is going to be for the next whatever it is 13 episodes um what were some of those images do you guys remember there was this great book of photographs he had of these cans that had been oxidized and he was talking about and they're in the show it's um the cans that the ashes of these um, patients were in and they're real I mean, they, they do exist. Um, and so that was an image. You know, he gets these very, very specific hits of stuff that he's obsessed with. So that was one of the things. Um, and then um, we quickly kind of found Waverly Hills Sanatorium as sort of a model for the new location um, that we had this season. And so we dived into the research of that and found out there was a death shoot that's all sort of real and um, that it had been a tuber- tuberculosis ward. So we, we do a lot of research on the show, and, um, and the research gives birth to a lot of the, the ideas for the sets and for the characters. Oh, and I, th- also there was um, the uh, Geraldo Rivera oh, yes. documentary on Willowbrook, which in a way we were working up to. In other words, we were sowing the seeds for something that would become... Willowbrook, and then is kind of yeah. reenacted in a way with Lana in the right. Uh, and we looked at you know. Titty Cut Follies, you know, the famous documentary. I think it's Fred Wiseman, um, and it's pretty hard to get a hold of. But it's uh, he I, shot. I don't in, know it. I know I've heard the name. I don't. Yeah, know he shot it in a, a real working sanitarium for you know some period of time, and it's 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 sad and it's creepy and it's funny and you know it has all of the qualities that <clears throat> ended up sort of being in the in the show this season. Um, so there were a couple of sources. Interesting. And so so obviously you guys can start to jump off from this stuff. Um, let's talk about creating these characters. I mean, again, I imagine these come out of group discussions as well as stuff that, uh, you know, whether it's uh, Ryan has coming in or that you guys have coming in. Um, let's talk about our main characters. I don't want to say where did they come from, but do you guys remember conversations leading to mostly Ryan the creation think. of yeah. them? Yeah, especially uh, Sister Jude. That Sister was, Jude. That was a Sister Jude, Lana, Kit. Um, these characters he came in and with. Arden, I think, oh. and Arden oh. and Threadson. He knew he wanted a serial killer who was the famous resident of yeah. the asylum, and. Um, so and and also we wrote for specific actors, so we knew Zach was coming back. So who can we make Zach this season that would be fun and different for him to play? So a lot of times it was a we knew who we were writing for right away, okay. and the character was created specifically. They're tailor made for certain actors. Yeah, Sister Mary Eunice was yeah. very much conceived for Lily. Oh really? Lily Ray. Oh yeah. yeah. Interesting. Um, and and do you guys remember how that conception happens? You know, I mean, it's we're trying to put our finger on a very specific thing here, but it's the nuts and bolts of writing, really. I mean, do you it's remember? It's really collaborative. I mean, yeah. Ryan will come in with something, and then we'll just run with it, and we'll see where it goes. But and would you say? And we kind of had this conversation. Uh, I mean, it sounds like how the Mad Men offices work too. We had this conversation with Matt Weiner, where he comes in at the beginning of a season and says, "I have these tent poles or these ideas," and is it the job of the writing staff to kind of put them in a coherent order or, you know, find a place for them? Or how, how do you guys work after that? What are the conversations that spill out of well, that, that initial Well, that, that is what we do a few little weeks. bit. I mean, Ryan will have these orange cones, these very specific things that we're, we're working toward. But as a group, the four of us, um, we work out plot. And, you know, so it's not just like it's handed to us. I mean, you know, <laughs> there, there, there are certain things that, uh, that he wants to see. And oftentimes it's a, mat- it's a matter of... We, we, we joke about how we're a little bit like the groundlings. 
like Ryan will come in and say, you know, a badger, Hitler, and a fire hydrant. Go make a story. <laughs> Which actually is is quite helpful to us. Like it all makes one of our sense episodes. to him. Yeah. It, you know, the badger and the... <laughs> They, they all connect somewhere in his mind, and we have to find that yeah. that that thread for ourselves. And it yeah. works. Yeah. It, 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 it weirdly works because, you know, you are given these sometimes impossible, I wouldn't even say parameters because yeah. they're not really parameters. <laughs> they're just like, literally it it's like yeah. it's like here, make this stew. Right. Um, and, uh, and, and, yeah. and weirdly, you know, we find some narrative coherence, although, you know, maybe not everyone would agree that there's narrative coherence. <laughs> But if we can kind of track it, look, it, there has to be some kind of narrative coherence or we wouldn't be able to write a scene. Right. You know, because oftentimes the complaint that we will have is, I don't know what this is about. So you've got to figure it out, which then starts affecting the dominoes of the rest of the story. And that's how we do it. And it's it's a dialogue where he'll he'll drop a couple things on us. We'll spend a couple hours turning it over and come up with a story and then we'll pitch it back to him. He will adjust it and then we'll go off and write it. Um, you know, so it's, it's, it's definitely a process. It's not, you know, yeah. yeah. Um, I would also say that some of those big orange cones change. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They don't, it's not as if everything is written in stone and we all are just trying to, to, you know, if it stops working and we have a better idea, a bigger idea, we want to move an orange cone (laughs) into the fifth episode that was right. in the twelfth episode, right. we do. Yeah, that's for sure. And yeah. and and a lot of that we do amongst ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I would say like a good example of that would be, uh, I know Ryan wanted uh, Sister Jude's past to be that she ran over this kid, and it was us who said, wouldn't it be great if that kid actually didn't die and that she just ran away and didn't, you know, that she has this come to Jesus moment and discovers, in fact, she didn't kill this little girl. Um, so that was something that we brought to it. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about these uh, orange cones for a second. Um, when you guys are sitting down to start kind of plotting around them and you know figure out where everything falls, uh, obviously there's an evolution. You know, a, a TV show is a moving train, uh, so things change as you go. But but how much of a season is plotted in advance? You know, what do you guys know? And, and again, like, let's talk specifically about Asylum. But, you know, what what do you know is, is coming? What do you know you need to write to down the line? You know, and anything like that. Also, we can cut this question out. <laughs> I think we knew a couple of brush strokes along the way that we knew we were going to hit, and we pretty much did. And we did land where Ryan said we were going to land. We wanted to end up with a Willowbrook-type documentary situation we knew Sarah was going to survive and she was going to shut the place down and she was going to have her um you know her ambitions met um that oh, she we comes did into that? the yes, Yeah, we did. I forgot that we, we definitely knew that. knew that no like you said and, you and were we knew, to the and we knew that Willowbrook sister Jude thing. was we were, going yeah. to help her in some way to get out and to make her you know to meet her mm-hmm. her intentions so we we did know that going in but there was a lot about Jude's arc that changed yeah there was a lot about all the arcs that changed but we did know pretty early on that uh that lana would have her reckoning with bloody face jr yes yeah i mean once we figured out that bloody face jr existed which Mm -hmm. was not at the very beginning no no but i'd say about a third of the way in yeah um uh, and you knew you kind of had to bookend with him, even retroactively. Retroactively. We didn't. Correct. I mean, <laughs> think it was the third one? Uh, well, I think for yeah. sure by the time Threat, we knew that Threatson was going to plant his seed in her. Yeah. <laughs> we thought that right. would go somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. That was episode six. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, that's, which is pretty deep in. Yeah. Interesting. So there are definitely big things that happen all the way along. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we, you know, because it's American Horror, we know that most of the characters are going to die, but we don't know exactly how. And then we try to find the perfect death, the, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the poetic justice for each. So when we came up with the thing for Arden, that was just really satisfying. You know? And that was totally spur of the moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We knew Lily was going to die in that episode, but we actually didn't know Arden was going to die. And then it came up as we're writing, as we're working that episode out, that, like, wouldn't that be just 
so unexpected. And yeah. a lot of times we're going for what's unexpected, mm-hmm. you know? Unexpected, but also part and parcel of the show. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. Yeah, it was unexpected, but wasn't, you know, arbitrary. Right. No, not at all. And also the truth was, once, once Sister Mary Eunice, once her story resolved, Arden was so... I mean, it, what we don't want to do is sort of mark time and tread water with any particular storyline. And on a show like this that's only 13 episodes with a clear beginning, middle, and end, you don't need to do that. Like, you can totally burn through story. In fact, the thing we knew in the first season, at the very beginning, because I asked Ryan when I read the the pilot, I said, this is interesting. I don't know how you sustain this kind of horror on television. And he said, well, here's how you sustain it. You kill everybody by the end of the first season and then start over at the beginning of the next season. He knew that at the very beginning. I always wondered that. I mean, it's so smart. It makes so much sense. And so at that point, we just felt like, okay, we're ready to go. I mean, there there was really nothing stopping us at that point. You get to tell this cohesive story in 13. There was a time when it was all going to stay in that house. Mm -hmm. Everybody was going to die, and then a new family was going to move in, and all the old ghosts were going to, you know, be around. But... (laughs) By the time we got but to the end of, of the first season, like, there were so too many. many ghosts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Too many actors. Well, and, we, and we really felt like we had told yes. the, as much of a story about that house as was interesting. It wasn't like we felt like, oh, there was one more episode we really wanted to do and didn't get to do. We really felt complete with it. Um, we'd we'd also talked too. at some point about maybe <laughs> season two would be about the omen and sort of the demon baby and Constance and mm-hmm. that we'd go off in that direction. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's good we didn't. Yeah. Well, and it was interesting to me to see, especially in these first couple of episodes of season two, that you guys were really playing in... <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, you guys were really playing in the tropes of 70s horror. You know, you had that great exorcism episode, mm-hmm. which people have been trying since The Exorcist to do a great exorcism that lives up to that and I think you guys did Um, tell me about playing in those waters a little bit how aware of you are are you of tropes versus character versus the story you have to tell I think we're very aware. Of we're very aware. We, we I'm not. We, we steal shamelessly and we quote other movies on purpose and mm-hmm. we, we, you know, that's fun and something that Ryan loves to do. And, you know, it's not, you know, horror is a very um, specific genre with a history and we're not trying to pretend that we're reinventing it. Which is so smart. I mean, it, it plays into part of what makes the show work. But I wonder if there are ever questions about balance. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean... That fi- what Jessica is talking about creates a lot of conversation about yeah. what the fine line is. Mm-hmm. You know, are we bringing something original to it? Right. Are we bringing something fresh? Are we? You know, we don't do yeah, it the, just, the, we don't do it just to remind you of the trope. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's no, a difference. There, there's movie. a difference between quoting and lip syncing. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. The other thing is, I think what happened last season and this season, I don't know if they'll agree with me, but the first the first half of the season was a lot more rooted in other horror. And then as we get deeper into the stories of our particular characters and our, their relationships, it really takes on its own direction and its own life. And I think if you look at the last couple episodes of this season... They don't quote. They don't look like anything. They 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 are completely unique to this show, and they really feel um, kind of steeped in. It's like it's a, it's its own mythology. Absolutely, I agree. Yeah, you're creating your own tropes out of this based on the characters that you guys have created. Yeah, because we get it's to really know them so well that I mean, I was personally so satisfied in the last episode by that friendship that forms between Lana and Kit that survives their lifetimes and it's like who who really saw that coming in episode one and it, you know I think that's really interesting and unexpected yeah. um, let's talk for a sec because uh, the only thing uh, that was a little bit outside of horror tropes and especially in the first few episodes were the aliens <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about the aliens for a moment uh, was there a plan going in where did this come from? Look, and it, it paid off beautifully, by the way. Right, when Ryan first came in and pitched what the first episode was going to be, that was in it. Yep. And he questioned it himself. Like, is this is this too out of the blue? And I, for one, thought it was brilliant. And I don't care what anyone on the internet says. <laughs> I think that there is something that fits the period. And, and 
that is a horror story. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you ever read Whitley Strieber's communion book, it's terrifying. And so if, if you're doing kind of a, a bridge from the 50s into the 60s, flying saucers and alien abduction. And by the way, the most famous alien abduction story is Betty and Barney. Uh, what are yeah. their names? Yeah. Anyway, it was an interracial. <laughs> it was it was an interracial couple. Yeah. Oh no, this is a famous story, and actually there was a TV movie with um, James Earl Jones and uh, who's the actress who was S in Sandy Dennis. No, no, it wasn't Sandy Dennis. It was the actress who was in uh, uh, that Faye Dunaway Warren Beatty movie. Estelle Parsons. Estelle Parsons. Oh, yes. It's Estelle Parsons and James Earl Jones, and they played Betty and Barney Hill. Right. And they were the sort of the first famous couple that were abducted on a road, and they had um, hypnosis and regression therapy and told their story. But it was all sort of rooted in the period and in the fact that they were an interracial couple, and you sort of didn't know where their own paranoia and pathology and and the the you know what was happening socially and how that connected to the metaphor of the abduction and all that sort of thing. So we were absolutely quoting that yeah. story. That's fascinating. With our interracial couple being abducted, sure. And so to and look, to me, it's just an interesting way to keep kind of a um, a visual arrow in your quiver mm -hmm. that you can use and it's absolutely ex machina there's no question about it <laughs> but the truth of the matter is we used that when we needed it mm -hmm. yeah the, the the other thing that I think is so great about it is you know we were diving into the notion of madness mm -hmm. and Kit was the most sane character we had practically, and this awful thing happens to him. He ends up being accused of murdering his wife, and he's telling a story about aliens, and he sounds nuts to anyone who's interviewing him. And meanwhile, it's a true story, and he's telling the truth. And so it was great um, for us to, you know, to have the audience sort of know that he had this experience and that no one's going to believe him and that it's going to completely screw him up in defending himself. And so it fit with, you know, the themes that we were exploring, but it also fit with, you know, the Nazis and eugenics. And yep. we were talking about all kinds of differences and um, mm -hmm. Arden's fascination with the aliens worked really well mm -hmm. in terms of his fascination with science. And, and so it, we did try to weave it in to more than, you know, more than just a gag. Yeah, I mean, I don't think actually it does stick out the way some criticism has mm -hmm. claimed that it has. Because the truth is, it is, you know, it, it is quoting the, the, the Nazi eugenics thing. Yeah. And it's also, if this had not been a period piece, I think maybe it wouldn't have worked as well. But the fact is, we're talking about the Catholic Church religion uh we're talking about religious experiences and the truth is kit is the closest thing to a saint mm -hmm. and to a prophet mm -hmm. in a way uh, of any character on the show and so when the white light comes for him at the end it's like moses being taken up so in a weird way it's like it's a way to take the mystical the religious and the science and kind of Married. Taking it and making a fractal of it with that alien story. Yeah. Oh, you're good. <laughs> but, I, that, but I've always thought that. I know you have, but you just you, you just sound did a great. really good job. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's also a great, on you know, a very surface level, a great trick on the audience. You know, where there is this question of there's no trick. Or not he's, there's no trick. Well, you, we get you, to see a serial you see, killer. You, 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 you saw it. But the That's truth true. of the matter <laughs> is it's like the first it's the first scene after it's the first period scene. Mm -hmm. It's Kit in that yeah. gas station. It's, you know, the, yeah, there's no trick. You are absolutely <laughs> You're shown what's happening. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we never wanted to spend a lot of time on a spaceship with a bunch of aliens. That which never I was which yeah, none of us <laughs> felt that that was no. that was what we were Especially once for. we saw the labians. <laughs> <laughs> which is what we call uh, we which is what we call the aliens because they looked like There were some problems with those but but I think <laughs> but I think at the end there there was a feeling of wanting to wrap it up in an unexpected way that wasn't Unexpected as in plot twist, mm -hmm. but unexpected as in just this idea that 
there are so many people that talk about these experiences and they all have different stories and they all have different points of view and they all have really powerful realities about them. And so for us to come down on the side of, are they bad guys? Are they good guys? Are they create, you know, who are they? Somehow just felt like we were, we were, it was too small of an idea. So this idea, and I think it's Tim's phrase that, has always stuck with me that they're just kids pulling the wings off butterflies mm-hmm. just felt so rich that we don't have to know mm-hmm. yeah. oh, but we know that kit is chosen mm-hmm. that's all we need to know i think that's right i mean the truth is we we struggled with this too because we knew that if we just completely dropped it and people didn't return to it in some way <laughs> that we would be excoriated for that and that people would be angry but if we went too far and tried to explain, look, I worked on the X Files. I'm just, I'm just. If you now, I know this is a podcast, but if you could see the look I just gave. <laughs> the truth is, when you try to over-explain these things, the next thing you know, you're talking about a FEMA conspiracy. <laughs> and I, ju- I just think, you know, what we decided in the end was to have characters express the questions yeah. that the audience would be asking without necessarily giving them answers, because the truth is. In the kind of history of alien abduction experience and stories, um, there the, the whole point is the questions. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Whitley Strieber doesn't give you answers. He's also quite mad. <laughs> anyway, well, next, next question. Um, well, I think I think that's an interesting point because you are also you know you guys are not afraid to ask big questions on the show. You're not afraid to tackle big ideas. You know, tying. <laughs> Tying this alien abduction to religion absolutely makes sense, especially in the stuff that you guys are looking at. Um, Again, I'm going to ask about balance, but, you know, we're looking at religion, we're looking at politics, we're looking at uh, sexual politics, all kinds of things, especially in this season. Um, How do you find the balance? What are the conversations that uh, happen We don't start from a point of view of what's the balance. We, we we really go especially into Charizard. especially me. No, we, we really go into like what's interesting and we go episode by episode, what does this episode need? And it, each episode has its own wholeness and integrity and its own story that kind of has a beginning, middle and end. So if we thought about it from the point of view of balance, I think we would get muddled, you know? Yeah, I, I think that's right. I mean the truth is we are like a jazz combo. And we're in every episode. We're absolutely riffing and doing jazz, and you just have to feel your way through it. You can't plan the stuff out too far in advance in a weird way. Right, like like the Dark Cousin episode, for example. Ryan came in and he said, "I want to do something really theatrical. I want to do an episode that's really like has its own special thing to it." And we kicked around ideas, and you know, and it was some combination of your idea with with Ryan's idea and this idea of this angel of of death or despair or whatever you want to call her. And then he had this look for her and um, we knew we were writing it for Franny. And so that was just born in the room, that episode. And it's its own little thing. And then, you know, the fact that we could bring her back was really exciting. But we didn't know that, you know, going in. It was just how do we make this one little story um, work? But because we're trying to be internally consistent, that's how the story ended up evolving. Because because we wanted to do some version of the Angel of Death, well, where has she been the whole season? <laughs> so if you look at the episode, it's not just every time somebody dies. It's when a particular character has a choice to either go on or give up. So really, she's the Angel of Despair. And not just there to. And we spent a lot of time reaper. getting to that, you know, because sure. because we do have to answer the question: Where's she been all season? We can't just <laughs> skip over that stuff like that. We take that stuff very seriously. Mm-hmm. I don't. <laughs> Three quarters of you take it very yeah. seriously. Yeah. Um, I, let's talk about that small staff for a minute, just from again from a nuts and bolts perspective. Uh, you know, I imagine you have writers on set during the shoot. Mm-hmm. Um, which leaves very few of you in the room, especially as, you know, you're off on script and things. How do you guys juggle this? Again, 13 episodes that we did this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you, just from a practical sense, juggle putting this show together? Well, I mean, the truth is we had a head start this year. So mm-hmm. we went yeah. in with how four, many four done and fifth almost right. done. Right. So it was about about five written. Yeah, we were can. closing in on six stories, at least being figured out. Yeah. 
by the time that we started shooting. So that helped a lot. And then we fell behind after that. Yeah. <laughs> and we don't tend to be, we, when we have to meet, we, we don't. We come back from the set. Mm -hmm. We're not yeah. on the set. When you shoot the, on the, the lot. The great news, yeah, yeah, we're literally five minutes away. So yeah. what we'll often we do is on. we'll go to a rehearsal, and then we'll watch the rehearsal. We'll give some feedback, and then we'll come back, meet. You know, so we go back and forth a lot. And if they ever need a writer on set, they call us. We're there in two minutes. Mm -hmm. So unless we're on location, you know, we're here. Mm -hmm. And the truth is, for whatever bizarre reason, it just works. Like, in other words, we, the four of us will meet. And we'll meet during the day. We don't come in all that early and we don't stay all that late, but we'll come in and we'll meet it, you know, sometimes as late as, you know, lunch. We'll meet, we'll kick around stuff for, you know, a few hours. And then at three, four or five or six, we'll go in and we'll pitch it to Ryan and he'll either love it or he won't. Usually he will. And he'll maybe just add the exact right thing that makes it click into place. And then uh, we'll go off and start putting it together. Mm -hmm. um, and this show, unlike a lot of TV shows, uh, does a lot of visual storytelling. Uh, how much of that is on the page? How much do you guys think as Some directors? Yeah, I think a lot of it's on the page. I, I'm not trying to toot our horns here, but <laughs> I, I, I really do think a lot of it's on the page. Well, it's, because, it's practical. I mean, it tells the story. In a lot yeah, and we have certain directors who are more visual than others mm -hmm. who really kind of add like a whole nother... Alfonso, Alfonso brings things to it that are not on the page. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's a, he, Alfonso is the perfect director for our show and for our scripts because our scripts are a mashup of styles. Mm -hmm. And I, I will just say this because Ben and I talked about this before is that I see on the internet people saying, you know, the snarky people saying things like this unintentionally hilarious thing in this show it's they've like, always said that. i know but it's like it's not unintentional bitch <laughs> <laughs> you know when burn man is saying i need 500 bucks for my headshots we know that's funny right right but it is a mashup of comedy and drama and melodrama and all that mm -hmm. stuff and his visual quotes are in perfect sync with uh with our narrative quotes yeah he, he's just an amazing director yeah. Not an overly tall man. <laughs> He'll never make it then. But good looking. Good Very looking. Good looking. Yeah. You're kind. <laughs> um, let's talk about some of the uh, on the on the episodes that you guys worked on. Some of the some of the fun scenes you got to write. You know what was what was stuff you particularly enjoyed about this season? Getting to dig into. Can you think of anything? It's all fun to write. All right. How about anything particularly challenging to write? Well, I believe Jen had a large hand in the aversion conversion therapy scene. That yeah, was those, brutal. Yeah, that was yeah. brutal. That was brutal. brutal and brilliant. Brilliantly yeah. written. And very, again, researched. Totally oh, researched. Sure. And Jen did, did that research. Do you want to talk about that for a minute? Sure. Um, <laughs> I mean, there were some, there were some inspirations from Ryan, mm -hmm. you know, he knew he wanted that kind of a thing, um, that kind of a sequence. Mm -hmm. um, and he wanted it to be real. And he wanted it to be real. And I'm trying to think how, how to put this. There was a way that I pushed it by thinking of it as almost funny, but not. So that when I was writing it, as horrible as it was, it was so horrible that it was funny. <laughs> I, I don't know how else to put yeah, it. I remember, Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I remember. I remember when you came in and you were like, it's the dirtiest <laughs> thing I've ever written. <laughs> and, and there was language... Um, Zach had language, uh, Threadson had language that was so arch. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he spoke of tumescence and yeah. <laughs> stuff Put your like hand that. hand on his member. Feel you, his member. Yes, touch his member. And, and it was so, like, bad. It was so... <laughs> it's pulpy. Yeah. It's very pulpy. And, 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 and sort of unlocking that, that part of yourself where you're, you go there. Mm -hmm. is is really fun 
Yeah. And maybe that's what I mean by funny. It's like, oh, sure. God. And there are a lot of times when we'll watch an episode and we will be laughing hysterically oh, yeah. at something that's completely horrible. And we're laughing because... <laughs> we can't believe they let us do that. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a kind of joy in how far we get yeah. to take something. Oh, yeah. And it's a joy in, in your own sort of id. Mm-hmm. But I yeah. think what's so great about that scene is that, yes, we all thought it was hilarious, it's not written hilarious. No. Like, in other words, sure. those characters... And she does not play it hilarious. No, she and neither is does heartbreaking. He. <laughs> like, in other words, none of them, no, none of the performances are winking at the scene. No. no. You know, and you really we get the feeling that because it's of a time, that, it, and this is before you know that Threatson is, um, you know, a <laughs> psychopath, <laughs> that really he is trying to help this woman. Yeah. And that's the horror. Right. I mean, the, the, it's a kind of horror I've never really seen, which is the horror of good intentions. Yeah. And also of history. I mean, this is what where we were in mental health at that time. And that was one of the really fun things about this season is being able to kind of take a, take a page out of history, look at what was going on in mental health um, and how it changed over the years that our show covered. And the fact is you could find horrors without having to really try too hard. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. Yeah, I mean, I imagine that you guys must have stumbled on stuff that didn't even make it into the season. Oh, yeah. 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 It's just a horrible treasure trove. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about that getting away with it for a second because this does come up uh, quite a bit in conversations about the show. What is the relationship with FX uh, or with the... It's Ryan's relationship. So we are completely shielded and Landgraf just trusts him. Mm -hmm. And if Landgraf has a problem with something, he will tell Ryan. And more often than not, Ryan will see the wisdom in John's note Mm -hmm. and adjust accordingly. It happens... Very rarely. Ever so rarely. Right. We Note is the operative word here. Yeah. Not mm-hmm. notes. Yeah. It's, yeah. He'll say, I'm uneasy with taking this yeah. character's such and such too far. I think far. there was, yeah, in season one, there was one shot, literally one yeah. shot that got pulled. And we all, I think, were on board. Uh, I liked it. Do you remember what it was? It was I, I yeah. do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was super offensive. Yeah, it was, it was awesome. I was sad to see it go. It was, it was um I wasn't. <laughs> it, it was when uh when when Moira, old Moira goes back to see her mother in the in the old okay, folks' sure. home mm-hmm. and uh she passes a room and she sees uh a comatose patient being violated by an orderly. And it was shot very graphically. It was, it was awesome. not subtle at it's all. An old, old. Oh yeah, subtle. Woman We're not known with for that. No teeth and, and her with her mouth, mouth wide open pretty. to camera. It was very shocking. It was hot. <laughs> <laughs> Just Necrophilia a, it would have been better. It was a combination of what it was with mm-hmm. the way it was shot. Sure. And it was it graphically shot. So, <laughs> you know. But literally this year I can remember like this? there was a note in the last episode where Lana says to Jude in her sort of fantasy version of finding mm-hmm. Jude in, in when she goes back where she says, you know, the the crimes that the church has perpetrated mm-hmm. on you and Landgraf is like, "Can you say science too?" So she says Religion and science, and like that was the kind of note he would get, huh. just really yeah. tiny. Which yeah, which we always hear about Landgraf and FX in general. Is yeah, they're fairly hands off. They let you do the show you want to do for yeah. the most part. And and Landgraf and Ryan go way back yeah. because he came into the position that he, you know he became head of FX when we were already on the air on Nip Tuck. Mm-hmm. So they. They went through their little tussles and came out great allies. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, um, let's let's hit a couple of these uh, characters and beats that you guys uh, tackled this year. Um, um, and Frank, the and Frank two part story. Yes, uh, love it. I, I feel like, and where did that come? That was like that was Ryan. so. Ryan came in and he okay. said, one of the patients is going to be Anne Frank. And we're like, what? Fascinating. And then it was like, is she Anne Frank? Is she not Anne Frank? And mm-hmm. we were going to play with that question. And, and this came about halfway through the season, right? It did, but again, we had written those scripts before right. we started shooting. Yeah, that was one of the ones no, that, that was done. No, that was four and five. Four and five. Oh, yeah. That yeah. was halfway through. Yeah, those it was the last cl- two. Yeah. Was, I just remember watching this the first part of this episode, even the first ten minutes of this episode, something clicking, going, oh, this is not just no. holy shit TV. This is, holy shit, this is great TV. <laughs> I mean, the, there's something was said around that time. Yeah, I, loved, I love that Anne Frank story. I love uh, 
I love her. And Franca was great. Yeah, Franca yeah. was fantastic. Um, and, it, you know, it was a way to tell a story about Arden. And by the way, in those flashbacks to Auschwitz, young Arden is played by James Cromwell's son. Who looks no exactly yeah. like him. People thought we had done some digital... It was, I thought it was so uncanny what they looked like side by side. And he he had his own outfit, so that helped. Oh, God. <laughs> or he may have borrowed his father's. Oh, my goodness. daddy's. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I assume again, you had to you had to find your way around this story. You you guys were introduced with to the concept, and you had to kind of. But the truth is, it. we were we we also didn't want to just exploit the memory of an actual person, sure. um, which is why we erred on the side of this is a a woman who is having some kind of break with reality. Mm-hmm. You know. But she turns out to be right, and that was the important part for us yep. was to balance yep. the – we didn't want to just say, oh, by the way, she's a lunatic and, and you know, right. and put her away. We we really – Yeah, the fact that she recognizes Arden couldn't just be some easy thing for the writers. Like right. that really informed what her psychosis was because we needed her to be obsessed enough with uh, the story of the Holocaust to have clipped all those – thing so that yeah she actually saw a photograph of mm-hmm. young Arden in the Nazi outfit mm-hmm. so that that's why she was right yeah uh, interesting <clears throat> um let's uh talk about the uh Santa Claus killer <laughs> yeah. uh it was fun again this kind of comes back to what you guys were talking about earlier with finding a fresh take on tropes, mm-hmm. you know, and, and this felt like that. This could have very easily been a 70s slasher. You know, mm-hmm. It could have been um, Norman Bates or it could have been Halloween or something like that. But it was, this is a character. Yeah. Uh, tell me about tackling this character. It was, again, Ryan coming in saying, I want to do, you know, the Santa Claus killer and he's the most dangerous man. He's, you know. And then we came up with this idea, well, what if he's been there all this time? He's been in the hole as opposed to him being a new patient because we felt like we had done the bringing in a new patient, introducing the new patient. And so we kind of wanted to try to mm-hmm. twist it in some way. So we, we thought, what if he's been in the hole all these episodes? <laughs> and that was fun because now he has a history with the place and yeah. a history with Jude. And so that that really informed where we went with it. Mm-hmm. And the casting was fantastic. He's awesome. Yeah, he's awesome. <laughs> Um, and, and let's talk a little bit about the, the devil, you know, this was a really interesting and subtly plotted story, uh, you know, that kind of crept up through the season. Uh, talk, just talk to me a little bit about breaking that, about, you know, tracking it, uh, any, anything you guys can think of? No. Well, it was tricky. Yeah. Very very tricky tricky because we wanted to have the devil jump into Sister Mary Eunice in yeah. that in that exorcism. Mm-hmm. We just knew that was so fantastic so as an ending for that episode. But it gave us yeah. the situation yeah. of one of our main characters being possessed. Yeah. So we you know, did we want to unpossess her? Did we want to keep her? You know, that well, was we, a, we knew we couldn't have a second exorcism. Right. That, that we a, knew that we, we couldn't do. Yeah. So if she, the devil was going to come out of her in some way, it had to be in some other fashion. But, you know, once we had her possessed, we thought, oh, it would be really fun to do a gaslighting episode. Mm-hmm. You know, so we had that in the third in the third episode. And then we were kind of going, okay, now what? And, you know, we, we answered it in our own way. but um, And in some ways, Lily answered it. Yeah. Because she found some some ground where where the devil was trying to master Sister Mary Eunice mm-hmm. and Sister Mary Eunice was trying to dominate. I mean, this was all subtle, but Absolutely. that's the way she did it. And so there was some shape-shifting, and, but it, it, most of it was pretty subtle stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we wanted to sort of avoid the I'm the devil with a master plan to infiltrate the Vatican. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's kind of there, but mostly we were using the possession of Sister Mary Eunice as a force of chaos. Mm-hmm. So it's not that she had a specific agenda. She was, she was also kind of like free-range evil, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and just like 
kind of just go. And with it's the another flow. form of madness. So we, mm-hmm. we, you know, we just explored that, and also it was so much fun in the love story between her and Arden. This notion that he had fallen in love with this incredibly pure little girl, and she turns into just the most wanton, <laughs> you know, <laughs> vile, lusty woman. It's sort of perfect poetic justice for for him. Mm-hmm. And it really destroys him. So that was where we took her story, was we, we, we married it to his story. Um, and there was kind of a happy, not coincidence, but it just sort of fell into place that bringing in the dark cousin character, actually the dark cousin is Sister Mary Eunice. Um, I mean, she's the dark angel, and ironically, the one dressed in black is the <laughs> angel of light. But the fact that we brought in um, the angel of death as kind of a counterpoint to Sister Mary Eunice was a was I think a great way to extract the devil from Briarcliff without repeating another exorcism episode. Yeah, hmm. yeah, makes sense. Um, are there characters? I mean, we talked about these characters kind of ran the gamut from these subtle interpretations to these very arch characters uh, or arch characterizations. Are there ones that you guys enjoyed writing? Lana. Yeah. yeah. Why do you think that is? Oh, Sarah Paulson. Well, sure. And <laughs> it's you know I mean she 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 had. Just such a great arc. She mm-hmm. did. She had a great, you arc. know, and you get and you really, really, really see it in that hard cut to the to the epilogue in the last episode mm-hmm. when you go mm-hmm. from. I mean, we knew she could play the older version of Lana, and what I think is great is that we didn't do like Little Big Man, you no. know, where she was like some old crone. <laughs> but the idea that our production staff could actually make her look like a woman who had gone through plastic surgery. <laughs> it was but, genius. Uh, yeah, I mean... And, and, and a lot of that, subtle, a lot of really that well is her. Done. I mean, a lot of that is yeah, Sarah's interpretation. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. Lou, who is our costume designer, our wardrobe designer, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just knowing exactly what to put her in. Because, I mean, the looks of Lana through the yeah. years is so about great. my favorite thing on the show. It's so yeah, great. Just, Especially Lana's 70s. 70s Lana is as hot as can be. going yeah. to say, that 70s, uh, yeah. when she goes to visit her son, like that looks yeah, like that growing look. up to me. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so good. It was so I liked, accurate. I liked writing Kit specifically mm-hmm. because he, I just love the actor. I mean, I love all of our actors, but I, I just, I, I could watch him do anything. He's, and He's pretty great. And, um, you know, what was interesting was like this, in some ways, probably last season was more fun for him because it was a more extreme character, and this was more of a, you know, the, the hero, the everyman. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but he had a lot to play. He I mean, had a lot, to do, a and, lot to do, and he really, he really kind of, he just brought so much soul to mm-hmm. it, and you know. But nothing beats the scenes between Zach. And, and Sarah. Lana. Yeah, Zach and Sarah. After he abducts her. I mean, that those were the most fun to write, actually. Really? Yeah. Yes. Those are tough. Because they're, 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 just, they're just brutal. <laughs> yeah. And the whole idea of him, like, cooking her the grilled cheese sandwich. The croque monsieur. Is oh, just... And that was Ryan. We, we laugh about Ryan a lot of Ryan is just, like, He's obsessed like, with certain yeah. things. And it's yeah. like, croque monsieur. And... <laughs> And tomato soup. And tomato soup. soup. The perfect like, mommy snack. It's just like... And then the idea... And of course, you know, because Ryan's life impacts everything if you look at like all the shows he does <laughs> and uh the whole the whole like baby needs colostrum thing I, I think ryan probably learned that word because he was about to have a baby yeah and so that ended up in the show and we were like yeah. but would someone say that <laughs> it doesn't right. matter but it doesn't matter it's no, no, it's it, now become it's like a classic and yeah. but you do get to get away with quite a bit because you are kind of covered by the tropes and the genre and, you know, the theatricality of so much of it. And you get to, you know... And the truth is, with Threadson, we were doing a little bit of, uh, you know, sort of, you know, famous actual serial killers. I mean, the truth is, all these guys are, you know, into necrophilia and... Yeah. So a lot lot of that stuff was based on really what those... Ed Gein and what those guys do. Mm -hmm. Ted Bundy. I mean, Ted Bundy kept the bodies and did things. And occasionally in the room, Ryan will go, is this too crazy? <laughs> you know, and it's like where the crazy line is, is always moving. Well, that's something I always yeah. wonder about. Is this, this two to cuckoo be... pants? Two right. cuckoo pants, yes. Usually like, it's cuckoo Yeah, like pants. we'll pitch something, he'll be yes. like, no, that's camp. So <laughs> making a croque <laughs> Like, okay. Yeah. And then she breaks into the name game. All right. Very good. Well, let's get into that. Yeah. Um, that that was amazing to me. Uh, That's right. Because well, because it worked too. I mean, yeah. 
where it came in the season, what the characters had been through. Uh, I mean, we've been we've been with Jude on this journey, yeah. right? Um, well, this is where it's yeah. really an organic process because we had seen her as a barfly who had been an alcoholic in a bar, and we were going to flash back to yeah. the late 40s, and there was a singer in the background. And then Jessica said, well, what if I'm the singer? So now her character had a new backstory. Mm-hmm. And so we adapted it to, and she thought it would be really fun to, to sing in that 40s scene. So then the name game came out of that, was like if she had been a singer, then in her fantasy life, she may be a singer again. Absolutely. So, you know, the, that's where the process is very... But I would also say that there is an element of Ryan just has a set piece in mind. Mm -hmm. It's like, we're going to, this is what we're going to do. And it's going to be this song. And the fact that it was the name game sort of, we built the story of the episode around that idea so that it, it, we really were kind of retrofitting the story of losing your identity and you're Mm -hmm. just a number and you don't have a name anymore uh, around that set piece number. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah. And again, yeah. it, it it's makes It's up sense. to us to have it make sense. Sure. Yeah, it was <laughs> sort of our yeah. job, and we could have sort of not yeah. pulled that off. Oh, we absolutely. were right. We were dancing on a... Oh, boy. The head no, of a pin, yeah. right? Is that the yeah. expression? What? <laughs> dancing on the head of a pin? Hey, dancing on the head of a pin. <laughs> on the head of a pin that's balanced on a razor's edge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and we we worked very hard to... Oh, yeah. To have it have, and and then the way it was shot, mm-hmm. Ryan was really involved shot. in that. Interesting. And the costumes, and you know the style of it, so that it didn't bear any relationship to a Glee number. Exactly. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, having the Glee infrastructure allows us to do something like that. Yeah, exactly. Because I mean, the thing gets put together in three days. Yeah, yeah. Because oh, there's a choreographer and, and a dance a, hall and, and everything producer. else. It's, it's yeah. all there. I mean, they had to record it. Oh sure. Yeah. 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 Um, well, I think we're just about out of time. Uh, Good, because I have to pee. Thank you. Guys for <laughs> Can you tell us anything about the next season? I'm sure conversations have begun. Uh, they're, they're just beginning. Yeah. Okay. They're just beginning. You, so. uh, can you tell us what kind of research you're doing? Uh, we're not yet. Yeah. Oh, all right. <laughs> yeah, we don't really know. We don't. I don't I mean, we know there a little. Been, there we know have been a little things bit. bandied about, but yeah. they're not. They're not. The thing we keep yeah. The thing we keep hearing is lighter. Mm-hmm. Yes, he and, has said and more that. ladies. Yes, that's what we keep hearing. It, there's going to be a it's certain. Cool. There's going to be a certain um, glamour to it. I think. Okay. And sex. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, it, sex was the hardest thing to do in this season because yeah. you know you have Everybody's people sort up. of shuffling around, drooling their oatmeal. <laughs> Um, you know, which is why we invented the character of Grace. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean that was the staff. We pitched going to Ryan and saying, you know, we, we need, need a sexy girl. <laughs> yeah, we need an we need an, uh, a Jolay kind of character for this show, and and worked beautifully. I mean, with yeah. give, helping Kit on his journey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was very smart. Uh, the whole thing was. Thank you, thank you guys so much for a great thank season you. for chatting today. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> Now leaving Nerdist.com.